Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's video. I'm Pastor Matt, this is Pastor Adrienne, and we pray this message blesses you and encourages you all throughout your week. Absolutely. For any more information on how to be praying with us or to become a part of our community or to give, please head on over to takeovergera.com. It's hot. Ooh, okay. Man, yo, I'm, I'm incredibly, incredibly uh, pumped. I got, I got something I gotta tell you guys. I, I get to preach like once a year, um, but I preach all year long in my, in my car. So I'm like preaching in my car and I'm just like saying these things. I'm like, oh, that's, that's hot. I'm gonna have to remember that part. So it's like when I finally get to go, I have a culmination of all these things and conversations I've had with myself and I've had with God that I'm just like, I'm a dog on a leash. And finally, Matt's like, hey, yo, this is the date. And I'm just like, I've been stretching these chains off the porch for an entire year. And then God's just like, click, and I get to go. And I'm just like, let's get it started. That's a year to me, man. Come on. <laughs> I got no reference of time, but um, that hurts. But it's, you're, you're, you're not wrong. Uh, so... If you want to take notes, you should. You know, a matter of fact, everybody take your phone out. Or notebook. Nice. Old school. I like it. And write down the title of my message. Zach Kramer is the speaker. The title is Catching Lightning in a Body. Do this. This is kind of my life call, though, is Catching Lightning in a Body. Um, so this might be part one in next year, part two. I don't know. Right, let's, we'll see. We'll see if I, how I do. But uh, one thing that I really want to attack is that truth doesn't mind being challenged. Truth is going to be true no matter what you have to say about it. However, a lie hates being tested. So if you've ever played the, uh, the why game with a kid, they don't know what they're doing, but they're young and they don't know a ton yet. So they ask why, 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 because they're in pursuit of wisdom. They don't know any better, but eventually as adults, we get comfortable with the fact of like, yeah, I think I know enough that I'm comfortable and I might not want to know anymore. So what that game is, is like, hey dad, why uh, do fish have gills? Like, well, because that's how they, they, they breathe. It's like, but why? Well, they, they need gills because that's how they filter oxygen through water. It's like, but why? Because they live in water, so they need that. But why do they live in water? Well, if you play this game long enough, eventually you're going to have to wind up at God. The more questions that we ask, this is actually a conversation me and Mary had, was the more questions that you ask, as truth is not afraid to be challenged, the more questions that you ask, the more seeking that you have, you stand alongside the Lord, the more things, like I'm not questioning and challenging God, but sometimes I am a, to an extent, but I'm standing next to him and I'm challenging the world about what it has to say about me and God. So if you ask that question, everything was, was, that, that belongs was, was a question answered. So why does a fish do this or that? Well, because ultimately, as simple as it can be and as complex as it can be, the end of the line is always going to be, be because God said so. So this is a game that we're going to play. And first, I think one of the, one of the greatest uh, perspectives that we need to have is to know that we on this side of heaven, we're going to expire, we're not gonna be here forever. So one thing that I wanted to do that I didn't have time for, is I wanted to draw a timeline from one side of the room all the way to the other, and I wanted to say, all right, guys, so 
this is existence right here. This is, this is the entire time that this earth is going to be accessible to us to make influence and to make change. Let's say you have 100 years. Now, 100 years is a lot. Is, you know, let's, let's be generous and say that we have 100 years to live, okay? Yeah. That is such a small amount of time in the grand scheme of existence where you actually get to be here and to make a change. And so many of us, we don't actually understand or take the weight of that because it's easier to just leave that wisdom untapped and to not engage with it and not even have that conversation or even ask those why questions. So if you, I took the Sharpie because I'm like, all right, so the timeline, let's say it's probably way longer than this room is, but let's say like this is actually you. This is your birth date. This is your death date. Think about that fact of that you do have a death date. Like you, you aren't going to be here forever. You are going to expire at some point. This is a big room. This is where we are. And Jesus came so that we can make the greatest influence to carry on the gospel. But if we don't keep this, this fact that in Ecclesiastes 7.1, which is my uh, uh, scripture, 7.1 through 5, um, my main scripture that's going to take us on this point, is that looking at this Sharpie that is so short and actually understanding what this means is actually going to shape and form the projection and how we attack every single thing in our life, so that nothing is lackadaisical just going through the motions. What Solomon says, the richest man to ever exist, the wisest man to ever exist, aside from Jesus, he has to say this. He says, a good reputation is more valuable than costly perfume. And the day you die is better than the day you are born. Better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. After all, everyone dies. So the living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, and sadness has a refining influence on us. Sadness has a refining influence on us. A wise person thinks a lot about death, while a fool only thinks about having a good time. Better, be, better to be criticized by a wise person than to be praised by fools. I added verse 5, has nothing to do with my message. But... It actually does. I mean, if you're not, if you're not going to apply <laughs> listening to a, being criticized by a wise person, then why are you at a sermon? You know what I'm saying? So it does apply. <laughs> but I'm wise, that's right. <laughs> but, my, but my main point is that Solomon isn't trying to get you to be sad all the time. He's trying to help you operate out of a place of reverence and, and calling for this life. People who are only seeking a good time, they're going to pass up opportunity after opportunity to really be able to make a change and make an effect on the people around them. So instead of just operating uh, without a finish line in mind, we're operating in, I don't know if I have a tomorrow. If I, if I have breath, says God breathed his life into us, this isn't, this isn't actually my breath. So every single day that I wake up, I'm understanding that this isn't my breath. So I'm going to wake up in every inhalation, every exhalation. I'm understanding that this is something that I get to pay God back with. Yeah. Every single word. As you, as you say words, words in and of themselves are, are, are expelling air or expelling breath. No matter what you say, this is God's breath. So what you say Make it really matter. Make it really heavy. Don't talk all the time. Like Solomon talks about this too. 
the, the whole Harbaugh family, we've been going through Ecclesiastes um, in, in our own Bible study, and it's been fun, but we have really been talking about don't make promises all the time that you're not going to keep. Don't talk and jibber-jabber all the time, but instead when you have something to say, make sure that you say it and you really mean it. Don't make promises that you're not going to keep because eventually, especially as a Christian who is supposed to have the absolute most amount of weight in their words, if I'm going to try to save your soul by proclaiming Jesus, then I can't be throwing Jesus in with the clutter of all the bull crap that I say all the time. I want to make sure that the things that I say really have weight. If Zach said this, Andy says this, this was heavy and this was real. But so is Jesus if he's going to talk about that too. Make sure that everything that you say, there's no idle word coming from your mouth. So, the Holy Spirit is crazy. If, if, you've, if you've been walking with him for any amount of time, you, you might have run into what I, what I run into sometimes. It's like you start embodying the character of God before you even read about it in the Bible. So, like, death was one of those things. Before I even read Ecclesiastes, I had this, this eagerness and this curiosity to understand, like, what, what does death, what is death? What is, like, why does death have, have any impact on here? Like, I had curiosity. I, I was thinking about it and studying it and trying to understand it. Even before I, I, read, I read Ecclesiastes, I was like, holy crap, that's, that's what I already do. God gets you, man. He gets that the Bible is really big. He gets that there's a lot of lessons. He wants you to keep on chipping away and keep on learning about it. This is no excuse to just be like, well, I got the Holy Spirit, don't got to read the Bible. But he wants to keep on modifying you and changing you to be more like himself no matter what. So as long as you're pursuing him, man, he's going to change you. So... Three years ago, actually, I wrote a letter um, to death as if death were a person. This was my first step of trying to understand something I've never thought about before. So this isn't actually biblically, like this, it's not not biblically backed, but this is also not a, a mountain I'm going to die on. So I'm, I'm writing to death as if it is a person, as if it is a person with a job, okay? So here's what I said. I said, Dear death, this messes me up every time. <laughs> As of now, I do not fear you. This could change upon your arrival, but I'm quite sure of the destination my soul has upon the completion of your job. I struggle to understand you. What, de what determines the time you are called into action and why the particular persons you visit? I don't see you as violent. I don't think you're evil. I just don't always understand you. I think about the time we will meet quite often and think about the emotions I could inflict upon my loved ones because of my absence. You have taken very few away from me so far. Our relationship is distant, and we don't come across each other often, and for that I'm thankful. Our few visits have been memorable, however. The thing I'm most afraid of is I know the amount of visits we're going to have is only going to increase. Again, I'm not afraid of our personal visit. Sometimes I even look forward to what it would be like to look you in the eye with the confidence of God. You should fear me, if anything. What I am afraid of is your visit with any of my loved ones. Don't come soon. I welcome you when the time is right, but the people around me have so much to accomplish still. Maybe that is why I push people so hard to be, be great because I'm scared for their life that the potential they have inside will not see the light of day before your arrival. There is no time to waste when dealing with an alarm clock that is not held accountable by minutes. If I could fight you to delay your encounter with them, I would, but with my death they would still see you, wouldn't they? 
whether it's my death or theirs, it doesn't matter because you'll still be present. I just would rather my life be shortened over anyone else's unless my death causes others to lose their way. This is why I await our meeting with anticipation. You will finish your job, but you will not win. Upon my death, everyone who knew me will cry tears of joy and of a desire to live a fuller life because of how I lived mine. Our meeting will only be a cause of reflection and celebration of how I lived my life. With that said, I also do not seek you. I most definitely avoid you. We will meet when we meet and I will be ready. I will take care of this body so your job will be anything but easy. I will not become one with the dust without a fight and I wouldn't be surprised if you had numerous visits with me personally before you finish the job. Do you love your job? I don't think you do. Slowly you creep in and strangle with tears in your eyes. It's not pleasant, but we can't live forever. I even bet you look upon compassion with those willing to fight you with their everything as sadness upon the ones who want you so bad when they abuse you as a means of escape from life. I imagine you hate your job on those days. How sad for you accepted the request who want you so badly. How sad for you to complete your task upon those who want you to stay away. Whether you are wanted or not, there is sadness. I promise you have something to look forward to upon our personal meeting someday. I will smile at you knowing where my body will go if my body fails, but I'll never drop my fighting fists as I cling to life. Oh, how I imagine you live for fights like ours, taking away the body of a man who knows it's only a means of transport to take him where his body cannot go. Maybe I should thank you after our fight because honestly, I need you. You push me. You command me to move. Things must be done before you come. But once you come, you're only shedding me of the fleshy weight that keeps me from paradise. Like I said, I, I fail to completely understand you. I'm sorry for the job you have been chosen. I look forward to the fight of my life and for my life with you. Don't come soon. Oh, how I know you long for worthy opponents such as me. Be patient. Don't come soon, but if you do, I'll be squared up with my fist high and a smile on my face, if it, uh, on my face, always ready as if it's my last day. By this, I am only able to carry the confidence of God because I'm made right in the Father's eyes. Take me when I'm no longer needed here, or my story will only be magnified by the tragedy of my death. Until then, let me complete the story and plan God has for me, as if you had a choice anyway. Until our next meeting, Zachary Paul Kramer. So, um, that is what drives me more than anything, is, is that understanding of that place. Just being like, man, this is so important, because I'm only here for a little bit. I think about I think about, like, if you look at the fact that you're going to be in heaven for eternity, what if you have the conversation about that one time you were on earth? And you're like, oh, yeah, I was there once. It was just for a little bit. Like, oh, what did, hey, what did you do with your time there? I didn't do much. I was only there for a little while. You know, maybe it doesn't matter. But there is, yeah, I don't even know if I want, yeah, I do want to go there yet, right now. <laughs> I'm right on, I'm, I'm killing it right now. I'm right where I want to be. <laughs> <laughs> I would talk about the weight of this tiny, tiny little part because Jesus said, it is better that I go. This is just so profound. It's so absolutely crazy that, okay, so Jesus shows up. This is the thing we've been, we've been waiting for. The guy is here. The guy dies. Okay, maybe he wasn't the guy. He comes back. Wait, he's definitely the guy. And then he says, hey, guys, I'm not staying here, though. It's better that I go. You're like, what are you talking about? How is it better this way? 
But is Jesus a liar? It's better that he goes because if he would have stayed, inevitably Jesus as the most famous person in history, if he were alive, he would still be the most famous person in history. So just imagine that one king, one God, our guy, he would have to stay in one central location where there's all the love in the world and all the hate in the world, all being surrounded in his central location where there's war. And if I wanted to engage with God and have a relationship with him, I would have to trudge and fight through wars to get to him the same way that everybody else is. That would not be ideal because God says it's better this way that he operate through me and you. This is heavy, and this is something that we, we, we as a church, we just shrug off, and we don't even hold, hold a lot of weight in. But he said it's better this way. The way that we're in right now, this was the grand plan. We're in it right now. He said it's better this way. This, what we have now, what we have in here is the best way. Here's the problem. So there's the law of free will. God respects free will. And the devil respects free will. They can't, neither of them are going to make you do anything that you don't want to do. They will both influence, they will both make impacts, but you can't have love without the choice to love. That's why there's free will. That's why God want, doesn't want to make a bunch of robots who are just going to do exactly what he says, because that's not love. That's not the God of love. That's not the way he is. So what I've seen in a lot of, uh, a lot of the Christian culture and man, this is where, this is what really, whoo, this gets me upset sometimes because as a Christian culture, sometimes we just say, no, nah, if it's the Lord's will, then it will be done, okay? We're totally missing the fact that, yes, there's the Lord's will, and it will be done, but there's also free will, and they have to, Jesus give us the Holy Spirit so that both of them could fully interact in the greatest way so that we could impact the earth as Christians in the greatest way. So if we're just saying, nah, Jesus will do everything, if he wanted that done, he would get it done, man, you're completely missing this tiny mark that we have to make an impact. There is a branch that I get to make on maybe a room full of people, and you know, maybe half, maybe a quarter of you guys will really take this seriously. And there's a branch that comes off of that. Every single person that you meet, there's a branch that comes off of that. And that, is, that was Jesus' plan. He made the, the first branches with his apostles. And those branches via the Holy Spirit impacting and, and bringing people to life has, has brought us to this point. What are you going to do? Like, Jesus started this thing. You're, you're in the line of him. You're in the royal line of the guy who gave you the calling, gave you this breath. What are you going to do with it? What I need to do is I need to make sure everybody who sees me, talks to me, and, and hears about me gets an impact so that a branch of the gospel can pop off of their life as well so that another branch so that this grand plan that when Jesus said it's better that I go can keep on continuing on to the end of time otherwise if I don't do that and I take zero responsibility because Uncle Ben from Spider-Man man he's he's got to be a Christian dude you know because he said something so biblical he said with great power comes great responsibility Oh, man. So, so in Luke 10, Jesus uh, expresses that he has given us great authority here on this side of heaven. What good is authority without exercising that authority? Why, okay, why would he give you authority if he was just going to do everything because the Lord's will will be done? There's no point for you to have authority because the thing that we get stuck on is that we stuck, get stuck in a gospel where uh, Jesus died but he didn't come back. Like, why did he come back? Okay, if the penalty of sin is death, Jesus died. He paid the penalty of sin. Yeah. 
we're forgiven. He didn't have to rise up. He's, he, he paid that part. He rose up so we could rise up. He rose up to give his authority and conquer stuff so that we can be here and conquer stuff. This, is, this might be weird and this might be too far for you, but I was in traffic. I was like, dude, I got to go study this stuff. And um, I guess I come up and there's a huge line, miles and miles from Wayland to church. And I was like, I, before, right before I ran into that traffic, I was like rehearsing this part. And I was like, Jesus did this gave me authority so that every single room that I step in, it is now my room because Jesus has given me authority that everywhere that I go, his will will be done if I'm submitted to his will. I want Jesus's will to be done. So if I, as, as his son, am, am in this room and there's, there's this part, there's this part, there's things coming against me, but I have the authority of the room to stand and make change in that moment because Jesus is so strong in us via the Holy Spirit, that we've watered down so much that we don't get that to the point where I'm like, no, it is good that I get to church early so that I can work on this stuff, and this traffic is in my way, and I said, if I can have authority over a room, then in Jesus' name, traffic clear up and get the heck out of here, because I got somewhere to be. Miles just start, start going. I'm like, wait, okay, this, this stuff works. It's good, it's good for me to get to church early. It's good for me to start practicing. Like, this, this is something that's not going to be slowed down. I've been getting attacked all week long by, by, by this and that. It's, uh, it's, this is why I was so pumped up to get, to get up here and to start going and start attacking this thing. Because, man, somebody's not happy that I get to talk to you. So the thing that I really want us to understand is this is an analogy that I made up, um, but I will back up with scripture, so don't even worry about it. So <laughs> the Lord's will versus free will, okay? So the, so we have the law of gravity, right? So if there's uh, water on top of a mountain, right? The, the Lord's will, the way he created it, is that somehow, some way, this, a river will be made, and this water has to make it to the bottom. That's what, that's what God's will looks like. The job is going to get done. It's going to get to the bottom. But how? But how? That's where our free will comes into place, is that the elements that will get out of the way so that the water can flow is what determines the path that the water takes as it gets to the bottom. It's going to get to the bottom. Jesus is going to get his job done. But are you going to be something that's going to stand in the way, that it is just going to simply go around? Or are you going to be a part of creating the flow that is just going to be so strong so that if it, when it does run into somebody or it does run into something that is stronger and doesn't want to move, that's more stubborn than maybe the little grain of sand that you might be, because of what God has been doing in us, we're going to help this water and this, this law of gravity take effect. So this water and the stream can have such a velocity that when it runs into somebody who would not submit to Jesus otherwise, we have been culminating the spirit so that it can be stronger than ever, so that it can spread out across the city, so that if a boulder gets in the way of what God is doing, it's just going to blast that thing out of the way. That's what I want to be. I want to be a part of getting out of the way so that God can use me as a structure to just flow and keep on impacting people. So my example is in 1 Samuel 10, 1, if that would get popped up. Nice. Then Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it over Saul's head. 
he kissed Saul. So this is Saul in the Old Testament, the first king of Israel. He kissed Saul and said, I am doing this because the Lord has anointed you to be ruler over Israel, his special possession. Other translations say prince. But prince, I thought he was a king. Well, the point is that he's a prince under God, and that's how you lead. The thing that this isn't even part, this, so like last night I was just, I kept getting more things and more things to say. I couldn't sleep all night, but I slept really good for some reason. I just had more and more stuff. I'm like, man, I got to say this too. But this messed me up is that he kissed Saul as part of the anointing process. And every single time that Jesus was anointed as well, he, he was kissed too. Even um, when Judas gave him a kiss. It was an anointing for him to come and usher in the new kingdom so that, so that his will could be done. Because Jesus has the free will to really obey and to do what he wants to do. He's just so submitted and knows that it's worth it and knows that he has a call. It's so great. If you, don't, if you think for a minute that Jesus didn't have free will too, you're, you're really messing up. I don't know what, what you're thinking here. Jesus had the free will to do what he wanted to too. He said, if this cup can pass for me, if he, had, if he didn't have free will, he wouldn't say that. He would just be like, yes, I'll do this, this thing. <laughs> but these are doubts and problems and issues that he had that when he took that kiss, he was being ushered in and anointed as this is the, this is the beginning process where I'm going to be able to conquer the world and to save everybody. That, that's, has not, that's not really part of what I'm tr- trying to portray, but that messed me up because the Bible's so interesting. So I just, I'm just praying that every single one of us can be kissed today to, to be anointed and usher in this new embodiment of, of our activity in the Holy Spirit, our activity in Christ, being submitted to him and what he has for us. So Saul's the guy. He's the guy. God said so. But in 1 Samuel 15, 10 through 11, you might be a little confused because it says, Then the Lord said to Samuel, I am sorry that I ever made Saul king. For he has not been loyal to me and refused to obey my command. Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this that he cried out to the Lord all night. So was the Lord wrong then? I, no, of course he wasn't. But, he understa- but, but God understands. I think the lesson to take from this is that God really believes in you. Because he believes in himself. He knows that he can do this thing. And he wants to use you so badly. So it's not the lesson of the day is, well... God was wrong about Saul. Saul messed up. He tried to please man instead of please the Lord. So the Lord's like, you're a boulder in the way, and we're going to navigate around you. What I'm going to do is my will will still be done, that there will be a mighty king of Israel, just as I I stated over here, except it's just going to be David. This job is going to be done. This this river is still going to be going downhill. You're just going to get out of the way because I'm— because Jesus is going to have his way. So I asked a friend, is Jesus the knocking on the door type of guy until you answer, or is he more like the kick down the door and barge into your life? And he paused. He's like, I think he's both. I was like, I think he's both too, which makes it really confusing. But makes you have to understand that God's a person. He can do whatever he wants. <laughs> so like Paul Saul turning to Paul in the New Testament, changing Saul's, okay? He knocks him straight up off his horse into submission. 
Now, don't think that, that uh, his free will was, was taken away because he got to see Jesus. Think of it as if there was a movement so heavy that, that because of the point that, it was, that the, the kingdom of God was taking over, it, it made it to the point where this place needed to be taken up. Is it going to be Saul? but only because the, the trajectory of the church was so hungry and needing somebody of a new position so that it could take it to the next level. That Jesus is like, here is the next step in the process. Saul, I'm calling you out. Are you going to do this? And he came and moved in such a mighty way, just like I, I want and I believe this church to be is a church of revival that is just going to pick up Holy Spirit steam running straight downhill because all of us are funneling this, this, this power so that when, when a city gets in the way called Grand Rapids, it's going to have to move under the feet of Jesus. This is us. This is, this is why we do this. If uh, the worship team can, can head on up. Man, that didn't take very long. Whoopsie. That's all right. <laughs> I'm, uh, I was thinking about this. I was like, man, I'm not, I'm not here to keep you. I'm here to take you. I, I pray that like, I'm taking you somewhere. I'm praying that I, like. You get, to, you get to move with me. You get to understand that there is something so heavy here. And if we ignore death and we, we ignore the fact that we got a time to make an impact here, then it's going to be really hard to really surrender and submit ourselves to what Jesus wants to do in us. Yeah. If we're just on a path that has no ending, if we're just on a path in a race that has no finish line, it's really hard to get motivated. If you, if you think about, like, one of my favorite people ever, Kobe Bryant, all right? He, he passes away in a tragic helicopter accident, sweeping social media. Everyone's like, I'm going to work out. I'm working out. This is for Kobe. I'm working out now. That lasted how long? Because our culture isn't going to be stuck and ingrained in the wisdom and the fact of thinking about death all the time. But when an icon like himself passes away, the world is thinking more like Jesus wants us to think, is that we're going to expire, so take care of yourself. So keep on going, so keep on moving. So not just for working out, not just for this, not just for that, but there, I want you to take that same perspective of that you're only here for a certain amount of time. What is blocking you up? What is not, what is not allowing you to get out of the way so the Holy Spirit can move through you and use you? Because he's going to have to get you out of the way one way or another. Are you going to be a part of this, or are you not? I had a vision one time. I was talking to one of my buddies, and he said, uh, I was like, I see that you're a really wide river right now. You're spreading yourself so thin, and because you're so wide that the water, the concentration of it doesn't have a lot of power because it's so wide. And then I saw it shrink, and it was a tight stream, and it was blasting off the side of a mountain, because he was so focused and keened in on one thing, and that was Jesus, so that his, his focus and power of the stream could just be stronger. I had another vision. This is one I'm going to end with, and it's the song that we're going to sing. Um, so there was a Sunday back at the, the old uh, location, and for some reason I just I felt like I wasn't there. Every time I closed my eyes, I felt like I was somewhere else. It was like a dream. So we're singing the song, and it goes, Amy, get ready. I'm going to sing, all right? Holy. Yeah, can I have a job? <laughs> oh, I'll keep trying. Holy 
So it goes like this. And I was just, I was just like, I was just totally gone. I was like, all right, God, I feel like you might be trying to do something, so I can't stay in this moment where Matt's preaching. I'm just like, I can't even listen to him. I close my eyes and I go somewhere else. So I went to the back, I bent down, and I just sat like this, and I closed my eyes, and immediately I was taken somewhere else. So what happened was is I didn't feel like I was really here physically in this room anymore. What I felt like is that I was in this heavenly place with with Jesus and I was absolutely terrified because what I've been praying for is that Jesus would show me what holiness means because I didn't understand it. This song comes on and immediately I'm taken somewhere else and I'm and I'm hiding and I'm showing my side, I'm hiding behind this pillar but I know it's invisible because Jesus can still see me. I'm hiding behind it, I'm showing him my right side because I'm self-conscious about my left side. I want him to be seen my best part. I'd be, I was so terrified that if I breathe too much, he might smell that my breath is bad. I was scared that somebody so perfect would have to look at something of his design that was out of place, that a hair was out of place. I wanted, I, I, I did not want Jesus to see me in that moment because I was broken and I was having a hard, hard time in the hard, hard place that I was at at the time. So I was so mad and I said, Jesus, what do you want? And he said, come up here. So if you've ever had a dream and it's like you try to change it, you try to do something, but it's like you really have to try, try and then you go back, try and you go back. It's really hard to be in your dream and change your dream. But that's where I found myself is that I had to fight so hard to actually obey him and actually listen. He's up on these, this, at the top of these stairs and I was like, God, I thought you were the God that comes to me. But he was trying to show me that I can approach him boldly that he doesn't just have to come down to my brokenness all the time, but instead I can also come to him when I'm broken. So he was sitting there tight. He wasn't gonna move and he was saying, son, come up here. And I was mad. And I couldn't stop singing this and I was just whispering it. And I was like, all right, I'm gonna try. So I, I came up and I stepped down that first step and it turned to sand and my foot sunk down back to the bottom. Like it was like an escalator going the wrong way. Except it was sinking sand and I just couldn't move. I couldn't go up. It was like the worst sand dune you ever tried to climb. And I was yelling at him again, what do you want? He said, come up here, son. So I was singing this song and I, I soon learned that the louder that I worshiped him, I started singing a little louder. I started screaming back at him about how holy and perfect he was, trying to show him that I'm trying, trying to show him that I want to understand just how good he is and that I know that he's worthy and he's perfect, even in my flaws, even in my brokenness. I start screaming. The louder that I screamed, looking up at his eyes, the harder that the stairs got. As I was screaming in this dream at the top of my lungs, the stairs became solid and I started slowly making my way up as he stood up off his throne and he welcomed me up. I finally made my way up and I was standing there just like this with him and I was still screaming at him about how holy and perfect he was. And then all of a sudden it fell silent. What he was trying to show me is like, Zach, I know you have all this baggage. I know you have all this stuff. But in this dream, and I pray that you could see it too, was that I got to stand next to Jesus in, in this dream, in this dreamy way. And I got to see that like, as he talked to me, he said this, he said, Zach, you can have all your baggage if you want to, 
But as you stand right here next to me, you'll know that it's not worth it. You'll know that it's not worth it while you take it on your journey. I'm really everything that you need. If you want to take this extra stuff and me, I'm still going to be here on the throne. I'm still going to be here waiting. But it's not worth taking with you. Just look at me. I'm, I'm here. So me and him, I, I, I got it and I understood. And I can't say that I dropped all my baggage at that moment. I'm still trying. But it was so crazy because I was up there in this place that seemed way more real than it did on did when I was actually on earth. <laughs> so me and Jesus, we're actually looking down at myself, my real, what I call my real self, your real self, and in this room of this church. And me and Jesus, I just look at myself down there and I'm like, Jesus, he's hurting real bad right now. Jesus said, I know that. He said he's got a lot of things he needs to let go of. And I said, Jesus, it's not going to be easy for him. He said, I know it's not going to be, but he's still got to do it. I talked about some other things. I talked about um, what Jesus thinks about this church. He said that I be he believes that this church isn't about numbers. Numbers are going to be an afterthought, but what what is going to be the for needs to be the forethought to bring in revival is that Jesus is going to be number one in every single person's heart here. That's how the revival is going to be ushered in, where we can we can worry about numbers and needing more chairs after that, but Jesus comes first. When I get real real crazy, like my hands start to shake, and um, people are like, "Zach, are you okay?" I'm like, "Dude, I don't know." I talked to Scott. I was like, dude, this might seem real weird, but I feel like I'm more with Jesus right now than I am with you. I was like, do you want to ask him anything? And Scott's like, dude, I think you're, <laughs> I think you're nuts. <laughs> I have no, no question for, for Jesus right now. So I was like, all right, I'll ask him for you. <laughs> I said, Jesus, what do you say about Scott? He says, Scott... Scott is the warrior. He's the type of warrior that makes everybody else a warrior when they get to look at him and see how brave he is. That just by seeing the armor that, that, that Scott straps up with, that it makes them brave enough to put their armor on too so that they can go into battle as well. So what I'm really praying as we go into this last song, the song that changed my life, would ask Jesus to show you how holy that he is. That you would take this up. You take this real serious. Because man, Jesus can do a ton with just this little amount of time. And this is a hundred years. You're probably not given a hundred. Probably not. I pray that I'm not. I don't want to be here that long. But I want to be here as effective and heavy as I possibly can for the time that I'm given. So I'm just praying that you understand that and you get that and you know that this life is not something light. This is something for you to come and take and make an impact to the greatest amount that you possibly can because this is it. This is all that you got. You can be with Jesus forever. Can you sacrifice this little moment when you look back on eternity and say, I was on the old earth for a little while. Yes, this one's better, but man, how I, I kind of enjoyed what it was like to go through a struggle and to really fight against opposition, take up my armor, and just see what Jesus could do with through me on this side of heaven.
Because man, you have way more power than you think you do. You're way more equipped than you think you are. Take that up, start having that conversation, start asking those questions. What does it look like for you, strapped up with all the armor of God, as strong as possible, praying hell down, praying heaven down here, and just saying, man, everything has to get, get out of the way when you show up because Jesus said it was better this way, that he shows up and that he be in you instead of him just staying on earth and just being in one place. He can operate an entire army as the general from heaven and he wants you to take up that call. Are you gonna take it up? This is it, this is everything. This is it, this is everything. This is all that you have. Yes, I believe Jesus paid the price, but he rose up for a reason. He said, my authority I give to you, will you take it up? This is not light. This is everything. So Jesus, I just pray that you would just operate in the song, that you would just, if people need to lay stuff down, they would come right up, that they would not, they would not be afraid. This is everything. This is all that we have. We want to serve you with our absolute everything. So Holy Spirit, come and magnify and amplify your people. Come and turn us up. Come and turn yourself up. Come and make us hot with your, with your spirit and just make us know that no matter what we sacrifice, it's all going to be okay. Jesus, we take this, up this fight. We take up this call. Jesus, come and just usher in your revival through your people. In Jesus' name, take us all away. Amen.